Hello and welcome to Truth Talks, brought to you by South African author, theologian and church leader, Dr. Christopher Pepler. You know, critics of Christianity often claim that Christianity is based on myths, that it is an unreasonable, exclusive and unloving religion. However, in my opinion, these claims, these accusations are the actual myths involved. I want to deal with just three of them. The first is the myth that Christianity is an unreasonable faith. Atheists and secular philosophers are very fond of this accusation. They claim that our faith, the Christian faith, is unscientific and illogical. And then they point to things like biblical creationism. You know, those who hold that creation was, as per Genesis' first couple of chapters, that it was in six literal days of 24 hours and so on and so forth. And they say that's unscientific and it contradicts evolutionary theory. They say that the evolutionary theory discredits and disqualifies the naive claim that God created the universe. And they take the theory, and I stress the word theory of evolution, and elevate it into a science, into a proven fact, but without any observable evidence, without any measurable evidence, or any repeatable evidence, which kind of contradicts the basic tenets of science itself. They write off creationism in all its forms, without actually considering the genre of the book of Genesis, which contains the account of the creation, and the several different legitimate ways of understanding the biblical account. Critics also disparage biblical miracles as unscientific, and they pick on the resurrection of Jesus as the biggest lie of all, the biggest whopper. And ironically, the resurrection of Jesus of Nazareth is arguably the best attested and certainly the most researched and written about event in human history. Well, my challenge to atheists and non-believing scientists and so on is to please take the trouble to honestly study the scriptures and examine the volumes of research available. My goodness, some of the best minds in the world over the millennia have researched this, and there's so much available for us. And then carefully weigh the evidence, and I believe you will find that Christianity stands on very reasonable intellectual grounds. You know, believers need never think that our convictions are based only on blind faith. Of course, we have faith, but an atheist has faith as well. But we also have a a faith that's based on good evidence, on fact. It's not an unreasonable faith. It's not an illogical faith. I want to give just two sources. You'll have to look them up on the internet or just jump onto my web, truthistheword.com. And for this particular post, I've given the links through to it. The first one is Josh McDowell's New Evidence That Demands a Verdict. It's fully updated and it's an answer to the questions challenging Christians. Author, as I said, Josh McDowell. Very comprehensive, very thorough, deals with creation, deals with science versus faith, deals with the authority of the scriptures, deals with the validity and reality of the Lord Jesus Christ and so on. The second one is Dr. William Lane Craig's website, Reasonable Faith. You can get that just by typing into your search engine, reasonablefaith.org. It contains a huge amount of data defending the fact that Christianity is not unreasonable that it's based on good, solid evidence and logic. Now the second myth that I want to just touch on is the myth that Christianity is an exclusive faith. 
You see, we're living in an age where it's deemed improper to claim exclusivity for any belief or to hold dogmatically to any contention. And Christian dogma does declare boldly that only in and through Jesus is their salvation. If you look at religions like Hinduism and Buddhism and so on, they set out paths to be in the presence of their understanding of the divine power, their God figure. And they don't claim that theirs is the only path, that there are many paths. Atheists, I think, are often offended by Christianity's claim that there's only one, because they find that very exclusive and very dogmatic. Now, of course, it's true that Jesus taught that he is the way, the truth, and the life. You'll find that, of course, in John 14, verse 6. Then he goes right on to say, No one comes to the Father except through me. So, yes, Christianity presents just one, singular, one means of salvation. But, But here's the thing. That means of salvation is open to all who genuinely wish to avail themselves of this means. Jesus actually likened himself to a gate. He said, and you find this in John 10 verse 9, I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. One gate, but whoever may enter through it. Now the scriptures set out the requirements for entering through that gate and the requirements can be met by any person with uh, any kind of awareness at all. The one is to repent, to say, God, you are real. Lord Jesus, you did come as as the God-man into this earth, and I've been trying to find salvation on my own terms, and I'm sorry for that. I repent, I turn away from that, and I put my faith and trust in you. Please won't you come and give me the rebirth of my spirit? And then we thank him for that, we testify to that, and we believe that and start to live it. And we are through that gate into an eternal relationship with Jesus. So, is Christianity exclusive? No, it excludes no one. Does it have just one entry point? Yes, it does. And again, the claim that Jesus is the only means is based on simple logic. The logic says, biblical revelation is that Jesus is God incarnate. Two, he has declared through the scriptures and in the scriptures that faith in him alone is the ordained ordained means of salvation. Now, one has to obviously believe that the Bible is trustworthy and again I'll refer you to um, sources like the new evidence that demands a verdict which amply proves that. The Bible declares that Jesus is God, therefore God says I am the way, therefore clearly he is the only way. So Christianity's contentions are not elitists and they're not attempts to exclude anyone. They are a simple belief that what God has revealed as truth is truth, that he is the way. The other big issue here, of course, is that salvation is not just a matter of intellectual assent. Relationship is a key to salvation. We enter into a spiritual relationship with Jesus now that lasts through eternity. So it's relational-based and relationship-based. It's, it's real and organic and, and metaphysical and not simply a construct of our minds or of our logics. Now, over the millennia, over the thousands of years, many, many fine minds have set out to try and disprove the existence of Jesus or his divinity, or, in fact, to prove that the Bible is unreliable. But both of these stand on very, very well-attested truths. 
Uh, I was searching the internet just a couple of days ago, and the wealth of new evidence that's coming in for the dating of the Bible right back to within 50 years of when Jesus ascended back into heaven is astonishing. It is really a well-documented and well-evidenced book. It hasn't just stood the test of time. Time is now revealing more and more evidence proving that it is what it says it is. The third myth that I want to deal with is that Christianity is an unloving faith. You see, Christians are often accused of being unloving towards those who do not conform to biblical standards of behavior or lifestyle. Homosexuals, for instance. So words like intolerant, prejudiced, even hateful are flying in our faces. Well, you know, I'm sad to say that that might be true of some who claim to be Christians. But the the harshness and the unlovingness of some people doesn't disprove the fact that Christianity is loving to its core and that anybody who truly is a disciple of Jesus will not be hateful towards fellow human beings no matter what their persuasion or their belief system or their ethnicity or their color or their lifestyle. We might strongly disapprove and be saddened by what they do, but we are called to love all people. So, if you have a look at what the scriptures say about how God reveals himself, it's actually very revealing, because the Bible condemns certain human attitudes and actions and lifestyles. But God's hatred is not directed towards the people because he created us in his image. He loves people. In Old Testament times, the prophets spoke as the literal mouthpieces of God. They said, Thus saith the Lord, Isaiah, Amos, Zechariah, Malachi, and so on. So let me just read out four of these prophetic words which touch on God's love and God's hate. And Isaiah says, For I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery and iniquity. Amos, it says, I hate, I despise your religious feasts, the, the religious empty feasts that they were going through. And Zechariah says, Do not love to swear falsely. I hate all this, declares the Lord. And in Malachi, I hate divorce, says the Lord God of Israel. Now there are many other examples. I've merely picked four. So, God is saying, I hate things that people do which offend me. You know, thing, things like being unjust, robbing, being full of iniquity. I don't. I hate these feasts that you, you go through thinking that you are finding righteousness through them. Uh, I, I hate the fact that you swear falsely in my name. And he hates divorce. Sorry to say that. But um, God has declared that he hates divorce. By the way, that doesn't mean that there is no salvation for those who are divorced or no new life or no reacceptance. It just means that divorce is highly displeasing to God. So, it's not the people that are in view here. Now, the New Testament revelation is really a lot clearer. See, Jesus said, You have heard that it was said, Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Matthew five forty three to 44 And then in Romans twelve nine, Paul goes on and writes, Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. So, I repeat, the fact that some who bear the name of Christian don't practice Jesus' injunctions or follow Paul's scriptural directives 
and doesn't invalidate the many who do, or the heart of the Christian belief, which is loving. You know, Christianity can't be accused of being unloving, because love is one of the central tenets of the Christian belief. In fact, in the Bible, Christianity's foundational document, the Bible, declares that love is the dominant characteristic of God himself. John writes in 1 John 4.16, God is love. God is love. And then immediately says, whoever lives in God, sorry, whoever lives in love, lives in God, and God in him. So the claims that Christianity is unreasonable or exclusive or unloving are simply unfounded myths. And anybody who chooses to really, with integrity, search through these issues will come to the same conclusion, I'm sure. And fellow Christians, we need never be intimidated by such false claims. We have a very reasonable faith, a very loving faith, and a faith which includes all who will come to Jesus for salvation. Hello. Hi there. This is obviously your daughter, Karen. <laughs> I normally go, hello, daddy, so I thought this time I'd just qualify it. Um, and I, I wanted to mention that I really hope that other people are getting as much out of these Q&A sessions as I am, and I'd love to hear from them. So yeah, I just thought I'd start sure. by, by talking about that. Okay. Um, your post this week was on the three myths about Christianity. And right. you talk about people that have honestly studied the scriptures and find it to be reasonable, etc., etc. Now, I remember you telling me, you said there was a couple of people, but particularly a lawyer who went out of his way to disprove that the, that the existence of God that there was no existence of God or something like that. What was that story? Okay, so just a qualifier for, for the listeners. Yeah. Um, the list of questions that you send me, I normally just have a look at to see if the order's right, and I don't do any preparation. But this particular question is an exception. So I've looked up some of these names because I wanted to get the dates and the, the details okay, great. sorted out. The person you were referring to was a man called Frank Morrison. Okay. And in 1930, he wrote a book called Who Moved the Stone? Hmm. He was. Uh, he had two qualifications. He was a qualified lawyer and an engineer. And he was so irritated by his friends continually talking about Christianity, and he was atheistic himself, mm. so he decided that he would start with the resurrection. He thought, if I can disprove the resurrection, I can disprove Christianity, yeah. which is a valid assumption. Yeah. And it's a fascinating book because it records his journey. So the book starts off with him kind of saying, you know, I'm setting out to disprove all this stuff and it ends with him becoming a Christian because the evidence was so compelling and as a trained lawyer he couldn't he couldn't ignore the evidence yes so that oh, was that's the story. wonderful and then and there's uh, there's others as well that have I think have gone out of their way to try and to try and prove the non-existence of God yeah let, let me quote a couple of them for the for the listeners the earliest one was in 1850 that I know of his name was Dr. Simon Greenleaf and he was a professor at Harvard Law School. And he actually wrote the books which they used as textbooks for the law of evidence. Wow. And he mocked, constantly mocked the Christians in his classes, saying, you know, <laughs> that's, you know, you can't make any sense of that and it doesn't mm. make sense and so on and so forth. So 
They challenged him. They said, look, you wrote the book on evidence. So why don't you look into the scriptures and the evidence <laughs> surrounding that and see if you can disprove this? And he did. And he ended up by being a theologian. <laughs> you know, it's a marvelous story. I mean, this is a highly trained mind. There are, there are some others. There's Dr. C.S. Lewis. We all know about him. Yes. Now, he was an atheist until the, uh, uh, at the age of 15. He, he became an atheist. Mm. And then he became an Oxford Don. And his best friend was the famous J.R.R. Tolkien. Hmm. You know, Lord of the Rings, etc. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. And at, they used to have these discussions. So at the age of 31, C.S. Lewis accepted Jesus, became a Christian. And from there on in, as they say, it's history. He wrote these wow. marvelous stories and um, wonderful examples of, of Christian faith. Did he write things like Alice in Wonderland before he became a Christian? Or no, after he didn't he write Alice in Wonderland. Oh, didn't he? That, that was somebody else. He, he wrote oh. the whole Narnia series. Oh, okay. I think it was Lewis Carroll. It was, yeah. Okay. Okay, oh, okay then, yes. The Narnia series, yeah. Yeah, then there was Derek Prince. Derek Prince was very uh, well-known teacher in the charismatic Pentecostal movement. And he was uh, a don, a uh, uh, professor of ancient and modern philosophy at King's College. <laughs> and also, he became a Christian, became a well-known teacher. <laughs> then in 1971, there was Dr. Alistair McGrath. Again, he starts off an, as an atheist. Uh, he qualifies at Oxford University. And it's he said, somewhere in his studies, he realized that Christianity was far more intellectually robust than he had imagined. Mm. He got a PhD in molecular biophysics. He ends up writing a book called The Dawkins Delusion. You remember Dawkins wrote yes, a book called The God yeah. Delusion? Yeah, yeah, And yeah. he wrote a book refuting that. Okay. And he's debated with many, many, many atheists. So he's a scientist, an apologist, and a theologian. Huh. And then, but, the, uh, then the current uh, one that I wanted to mention is a man called Lee Strobel. Yeah. And he, he was a journalist. And again, trained to uncover truth. And mm. he wrote a book called The Case for Christ. <laughs> and again, what happened was his wife became a believer. Okay. So he decided, look, as a trained reporter, he better investigate what she's believing in. <laughs> and wound up joining <laughs> her as a Christian. So there are many wonderfully trained minds and uh, genuine people with high levels of education who have sifted the evidence and found sure. it to be true. That's amazing. The other thing that you, you talk about in the post is that you say it's not an exclusive faith. Yeah. And you, you go to quite great pains to say this, mm. but then you say that only Christians can enter through the gates, the, right. you know, the, the non-wide <laughs> gate. So now, how does that make it non-exclusive in that case? I mean, that sounds incredibly exclusive, like a special membership. Yes, okay. So, the word exclusive means restricted. Okay. And Christianity is not restricted to any particular group of people. And it's okay. not Christians who enter through the gate. They, gate. they become Christians by entering through the gate. Okay. Because Jesus is the gate. Okay, so anyone can, Absolutely. as long as they become Christians. And the, uh, the, the qualification for entering through the gate is not knowledge or good works or family background, whatever it is. It's repenting of our self-sufficiency, believing that Jesus is the only way to salvation, asking him for spiritual rebirth and confessing it, and we're through the gate. So it is it is the, the exact opposite to exclusive. It has one way, 
but anybody who wills can pass through that way. Okay, I understand that better now. Mm. The the one uh, thing that came to the one thought that came to mind was, you know, people often talk about different religions, but also even sort of you know Catholicism versus um, Protestant you know, and so on. Yeah, that sort of thing. Okay, and and Buddhism and Hinduism and everything else. And they say, well, if you think about a, a candle in like a stained glass sort of container. Yeah. You know, like a, like the church glass windows, then every side of that container, the candle will show shine a different light through, and there'll be different images projected, etc. But the candle is still the same. Okay. And I've had a lot of people sort of saying, so therefore, you know, God could be God to every faith, every religion, every denomination. They're just looking at it through a different window. Okay. All right, so now um, here's the fallacy. This would hold good if religions were, as many of them are, most of them are, just man-made things. Yeah. Humans' attempts to find God. Mm. Stepladders to heaven that are created on earth, so to yeah. speak. Yeah. And then obviously any old stepladder will do. It's everybody's attempt to try and make sense of God and to find a way to Him. Yeah. But it ignores the fact that God has chosen to come and reveal Himself. Mm. So in the year 3 BC, God the Son is born into the human race. Mm. And he grows into a man and at the age of 30 he starts to teach and he basically says, Behold your God, here I am. Mm. I have come to show you the way to salvation. And the way to salvation is not Buddhism and it's not this and it's not that, it's me. It isn't mm. any religious set of philosophies or rules. Yeah. So, so that leads to the second thing. Christianity is unique in that its founder claimed to be God. You don't find that claim in, the, in, in religions of the world. Its founder yeah. said, I am God. Yeah. Then he said, and it's only in a relationship with me that you can find eternal life. I think some cults, cult leaders have claimed to be God. Yes, but those are clearly cult leaders. <laughs> so you have the, the, the Charlie Mansons and the yes. Karushas and those guys mm. who are nuts. Mm. And had very small followings. But, True. you know, again, C.S. Lewis, I mentioned earlier, was had his famous statement. He said, Jesus claims to be God. So that makes him one of three things. He's either mad. Mm. You know, he's really seriously deluded, like yeah. those cult guys. Yeah. Or he's bad. Mm. Or he is what he says he is. Mm. So tell me, look into his life and his teachings and say, is this a madman? The mm. most sublime, logical, perfect, wonderful teachings. I mean, I'm still in awe of some of the things he said. In fact, most of the things he said. <laughs> yeah. Secondly, is he bad? No. He was absolutely and profoundly good in all his ways and ends by giving his life to save humanity. And so what does that was with? love. It, it means he must be who he says he is. So that's mm. the uniqueness of, of Christianity. That's why it, you can't find other ways because they're not man-made ways. God has come and said, here I am. This is the way. It's through me. You'd also have to look look very hard to find anyone as famous, just oh, generally. Sure. Yeah. yeah. The other thing that that you spoke about was that Christianity being not being intolerant, in fact, being being tolerant. Yeah. What did you What did you mean by that? 
Okay, and again, um, you just to, yeah, just to, sorry, just to qualify, you know, like you said, okay, so there's only one way, it's, it's the narrow gate, you enter through it. Okay. But then we've got, uh, I'm not saying you or I, but I have, you know, there's scoffers. <laughs> there's Christian scoffers who sound quite intolerant of anything that isn't Christianity. Okay, so, so you're talking about human beings who are behaving badly. Yeah. Human behaviors. Okay, yeah. And unfortunately, there are many who wear the badge of Christianity. And in fact, this is one of the biggest problems that atheists and agnostics have. They say, yeah, the teachings of Jesus are fine, but I wish his followers would, would, would believe him and act yeah. like him. Yeah. But you see, that doesn't invalidate Jesus or his teachings or the church or Christianity. It just means that there's an awful lot of folk who don't get it and who don't live it. It's, I don't think it's only atheists who think that sometimes. <laughs> yeah, sure. And the whole story, you know, the church is full of hypocrites, etc., etc., etc. Sure. So it, Christianity is not intolerant at all. I mean, as Christians, we are supposed to uh, love everybody, no matter yeah. what they do. We don't have to agree with their behavior. Yeah. We don't have to support bad behavior and yeah. wrong lifestyles, etc. But we need yeah. to be merciful, kind, uh, and accepting of them as human beings made in God's image. Mm. You know, that's, that's the difference. Okay. Uh, Shem, you know, I keep on thinking about, when we're talking about the, the, the candle in the center, and I keep on thinking about the very orthodox Jews, and if they, you know, what if they never read the New Testament? They go to such lengths to try and be what they consider godly. Yeah? You know, Corinne, this is one of the mysteries. And um, the Jewish nation is a, a sort of a biblical mystery because Paul writes and he says, the eyes of the Jews have been blinded for a time so that the Gentiles, that's us, mm. can come into a relationship with Jesus. But the time sure. will come when their eyes will be opened, they will see the one whom they pierce and they will mourn as if one mourning for a long lost son. Wow. So, so there is a blindness that's upon the eyes of the majority of Jewish folks, not all. You know, some yeah, do come yeah. to wonderful faith in Christ. Mm, yes, but but yeah. as a generalization, there's a blindness. So mm. they will look into the very same scriptures that we look into, and they'll say, no, I don't get that. Mm. No, 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 no. Now, the Messiah was supposed to be a political leader. Look, th this Jesus wasn't. Mm. He, he didn't save Israel from the Romans. <laughs> and and yeah. they're absolutely fixated on things like this. Yeah. But there will come a time because God is faithful to his covenant. So even if his covenant people are unfaithful, he is still faithful to them. And the book of Romans and other places in Scripture sets that out really, really clearly. Mm. It's so ironic because, you know, Jesus was Jewish. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> I remember the first time I heard that it blew my mind. <laughs> yeah, well, it's true. And, and you know, again, uh, a person who's born again of the Spirit of Christ has an inbuilt affinity, you know, because we, we are born again of His Spirit. Mm. So, and therefore, there's something in us which actually reaches out to Jewish folk. Yeah. The first time I went to Israel, I kind of had it almost like coming home experience. It was amazing. Really? Yeah, I just felt such an affinity for the land and the people and the cultures and the language and all those kind of things. And if you think about it, you know these stories about twins who get separated at birth? Mm. And then, then they find each other as adults? 
Yeah. And there's this immediate recognition. Yes, like a bond. And there's immediate affinity, although mm. they haven't lived one day together. Mm. <laughs> I had a, kind of that feeling. And I think it actually should be something like that because we are, we worship actually the same God. They just have not really embraced the truth of Jesus. Yeah. Being God. I'm, I'm, I'm glad that there will be a time, though, when, you know, they, they, they will see the New Testament and Jesus for who he is and everything because uh, I do I do feel really strongly that if you're trying so hard <laughs> you know you surely you must be rewarded for walking everywhere and well, growing your beard and wearing funny hats and going through all these extreme measures because you're talking only about a very small percentage of Jewish folk yeah you're talking about the Chesedim and the ultra-Orthodox. Mm. Mm. Most Jewish folk, especially in the West, live a, a very sort of a modern a kind of a liberal Judaism, where really oh, it's, yes. just, it's just about getting on, getting on with each other and doing good to each other and to humanity. Yeah, it's a small community and then they celebrate yeah. Christmas. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay, well, I think we're out of time, Dad. I think so. Thank you very much. That was illuminating like a candle in a stained glass thingy. <laughs> well, that's a good place to end then. Excellent. Okay. Speak to you soon. Keep your light shining. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to Truth Talks from Truth is the Word Ministry. If you'd like to share your views, read up on related topics, or purchase one of Dr. Pepler's books, please visit his blog on truthistheword.com. And remember, truth talks.